We are today in John chapter 4. As I've mentioned, the gospel writer, uh, the Apostle John, has given us throughout this gospel a number of different looks into different one-on-one encounters. In many cases, the one-on-one encounters were personal, but they weren't private. They were in the midst of many other people. Today we come to Jesus' encounter with a court official. And we'll talk more about that in a moment. John chapter 4, and I'll begin reading in verse number 46. Once more he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went, I'm sorry, back to verse 47. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, sir, come down before my child dies. Verse 50, go, Jesus replied, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on the way, his servants, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when he, his son got better, they said yesterday at one in the afternoon, his fever left. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. This was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judah to Galilee. I want to talk today about the power and the path of faith. First, I want to make some things clear about this story and the various people in it. Uh, Jesus, you know. But the royal official, a lead figure in the court of King Herod. He could have been a Jew, although that's not likely. He probably was not. His son, we don't know what the age was. All we know about his son is that he was ill. And not just any illness, it was an illness to the point of death. Being a court official in Herod's court, he was a wealthy man. Being a court official in that court, he was also a well-known man with a reputation to maintain. Being a court official, he was clearly loyal to Herod, and then, by extension, loyal to Rome. He could afford the best doctors. And here comes Jesus, and he comes to Jesus, a royal member of the ruling court, and he's begging, in verse 47, that Jesus would come to heal his son. This was a desperate man. Very desperate, and any of us that have children would understand completely the desperation. This was a man who clearly loved his son and loved his family to be able to put his entire reputation on the line to see if something could be done to save his son's life. Love them enough that he would consider anything to see his child healed. Now first I want to jump to the end of the story and talk about the power of faith. And then come back to the beginning of the story and talk about the path of faith, the power of faith. Jesus states 
and tells us in Matthew chapter 17 the potential of faith in a single verse. In verse 20 of Matthew 17, he replied, Because you have so little faith, I truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will, be, and it will move. And nothing will be impossible for you. Each of us as believers in Jesus Christ need to understand the power that rests in true faith. It can move mountains. And people will say, well, I don't have as much faith as someone else. I'm going to assume many people here have seen a mustard seed. It's really, really tiny. And what Jesus is saying is that this is not about the amount of faith you have. It's not about the amount of ability you have. It's about what your faith is in. Having great faith in something that can't deliver won't move anything. But having even a little faith in Jesus Christ can move mountains. Now this story in Matthew 17 is a reply from his disciples as to why they why they couldn't heal a demon-possessed boy. It wasn't because they did it wrong. It wasn't because their lives were lacking in some way. It wasn't because the enemy was in the way. It was because of their faith. They lacked the power because they lacked faith. Faith in Jesus is powerful. Not faith in the government. Not faith in the economy. Not faith in human nature. I hear this all the time. People will say, well, I'm just going to Go on and and do this because I have faith in human nature. Good luck with that. (laughs) This past, let's see, it was Wednesday. I was in Manhattan. I'm I'm usually in the city three days for work, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday. And I was there, and in the morning, I get off the Long Island Railroad train. I go onto the subways to go uptown, and I'm just standing there waiting for my train to come into the station. The other train I don't take had come in. It was just there. And it stood there for a while. And doors didn't close. People were getting on, but it wouldn't close. And all of a sudden, from the front of the train, I was in the back part of the station, I see a number of police officers walking this way. And I don't move. I don't say anything. I kind of look over. And then I look back this way. I'm not, not going to really get involved in anything that's going on. And as they're going, they're looking in each car. I'm like, hmm, this is not normal. Not that anything in New York City is normal, but this is definitely not normal. And as they're going by, one of them's on his radio. And, you know, there are some words you don't hear a whole conversation, but you hear one word and it stands out. And all of a sudden, as they're walking by, this one officer was on his radio, and I hear the word shooter. And then they kept going back, and I just stood there. But I have to admit, I was toward the edge of the platform. I took a step back because I have no faith in human nature. But I have faith in Jesus Christ. He was going to get me to my office, fine. Train pulled out. I got on the next train. No worries. But it matters what we put our faith in. And my faith is in Jesus. Ultimately, the faith that moves mountains is faith in Jesus and in him alone. Now, after this conversation where this is given, Jesus says to him, when he says, I need you to come heal my son, 
He says in verse 50, go, Jesus replied, your son will live. And the end of verse 50 is so telling for me. This court official, this man loyal to King Herod and to Rome, it says he took Jesus at his word. I need to camp there for a bit. This official from Herod's court took Jesus at his word. This official for whom we have no record that he ever had a previous encounter with Jesus took him at his word. This desperate father who was frantically begging the king of kings in human form to journey with him, come back to his house and heal his son. When he said, go, your son shall live, took Jesus (coughs) at his word. Would that more of us Christians could do that? Take Jesus at his word. When when the Bible says that you are the apple of his eye, you need to take Jesus at his word. When he says in, in, in the word of God, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, that he will never leave you nor forsake you, you and I need to take Jesus at his word. When he says in Psalm 50, in, 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 in Psalm 23, that goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life, we need to take Jesus at his word. When Jesus plainly demonstrated his love for us, that by dying on the cross, in Romans 5, 8, it says, that's how he demonstrated us. So no one should ever be able to ask, does Jesus love me? We need to take him at his word. But pastor, you don't know the mistakes I've made. The hidden ones. I don't. Jesus does. But pastor, you don't know the people I've hurt or wronged. I don't. Jesus does. But pastor, you don't understand how deeply someone has hurt me. I don't. But Jesus does. And Jesus knows and understands all of that. And faith in his love, faith in his power, faith in his ability, not only to hold on to you, but to hold your life together when it seems like it's falling apart. That's a faith that will move any mountain, even the mountains that we construct on our own. In a moment of frantic desperation, a moment that brought this official to the end of his rope, A word from Jesus inspired enough faith in this man to allow him to simply continue on his way. He took Jesus at his word. We need to cultivate as believers in this day that kind of faith. A faith that will take Jesus at his word. And this mountain moving faith produces. The man returns home. And is met by his household servants. And they say, your son, miraculously, who was at the point of death, is now alive. He's better. No longer dying. We can only imagine the joy that was in this father's heart. And yet, with all this joy and all that he wanted to express, the first question he he asked is, when did it happen? When did this happen? And it's confirmed and We've learned as Christians, we don't believe in coincidences anyway. No coincidence that it's connected with the exact hour that he was with Jesus and Jesus said, your son will live. And what's the end result? Not only is his faith strengthened, it says he believed and his whole household. 
They all place their trust. They all place their confidence. They all place their lives in the words of Jesus. This is the power of faith. Faith that can move not only the mountains that we see with our eyes, but the mountains that are in our hearts, the mountains that we live with each and every day. This is not just wishful thinking. This is not just human hope, like, I hope it doesn't rain today. This is not simply faith in an outcome, but faith in the person who can control the outcome and who made the claim. So the story has a happy ending, a great ending. A man came to Jesus. Jesus spoke a word. He believed that word, and his son was healed. Yet that's the end of the story. The conversation from most objective human perspectives that preceded it is a little strange. And that's where we talk about the path of faith. It begins with the official coming to Jesus with a desperate need. He's heard about Jesus. There have been stories and rumors. His fame is beginning to spread at this point in his earthly ministry. He was probably there when the water was turned into wine, since he was a Roman official in the way weddings were done back then. So connecting the dots wasn't hard as to why he was there. And he comes to Jesus, presents his need, and what is the response of the caring, loving, compassionate king of kings? You people, all you ever look for is signs and wonders. I don't know about you, but I'm, I'd be like, Jesus, really? I don't know. He's talking to the man, but undoubtedly there were other people around as it would have been common for a man of that stature to have traveled in a crowd. There were others gathered. And it seems that what the first response was is somewhat of a chastisement. Another sign seeker. Another person looking for a miracle. This man seems to quickly move past it because, you know, when you've got a desperate need, you're looking for an answer to your need. You're not looking for a theological debate. The man moves quickly, almost ignoring what he said. And in the very next spoken word, Jesus assures the man that his son is healed. But in this one comment, which can seem so out of place, is a lesson I believe we all can learn from. I see it around me. It just seems to me, especially in our very visual, very tactile world that we live in today, that so many people say they would be willing to hear the gospel, but it's only for what they can get out of it. It's much more of a consumer mentality than anything else. I've heard for years many people say, well, I'm looking for a church to attend. And I'll ask them, what are you looking for? And they'll begin to list things they need. They'll begin to list things they want. They'll begin to list things they can get out of it. And I'll, as I've gotten more bold, I wasn't that way at the beginning, I will say, well, then, the church you're looking for, what do you plan to give? What involvement do you plan to be a part of? Because if all we're coming to the house of God, if all we're doing when we gather together with God's people is to what we can get, we can go to Walmart for that. We can go to a store for that. That's a consumer mentality. 
What will coming to church do for me? What will coming to Jesus do for me? What will praying do for me? In our drive through ATM microwave world, not only what can I get out of it, whatever I can get out of it, I better get out of it quickly. It better happen right now. Now, I want to balance this. Because I believe strongly in signs and wonders. We live in a day where God is moving and performing miracles. Many of us could spend time testifying as to what God has done recently in our lives. The Bible talks about signs and wonders following those who believe. And it's true that for many non-believers, the first step is seeing Jesus' power in a physical, visible way in action. But what about those of us who are not new to the faith? Does the Lord need to keep performing to keep us close? Is our continual faith dependent upon what we see, or does it really become faith? Evidence for things hoped for and not seen. Is us staying loyal, is us staying faithful to what we know contingent upon what Jesus does for us? It's understandable that those who don't know him, don't follow him, will need evidence. I get that part. We'll need something to spark and jumpstart that journey of faith. But is that true for you and me as those who are not new to the faith? Are signs and wonders what keep us believing? Now, as we've gone through the Gospel of John... I've tried my best to stick to where we are in John. But John said so many wonderful things that I just, that fit. So I'm going to jump ahead right now to John chapter 20. To an encounter that he had with another disciple, Thomas. John chapter 20, verse 24. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, what we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand on into his side where he was pierced, I will not believe. This is after Jesus' resurrection. And it involves one of Jesus' disciples, Thomas. It's not an outsider. This is not a newcomer. This is someone who walked with Jesus for the majority, if not all, of his earthly pilgrimage as a minister. This is a faithful follower who had been with him and seen all the miracles. Even in his place of doubt, which I'll even grant him can be understandable because of the whole trauma and the situation of the crucifixion. So even in this place, Jesus comes to Thomas and addresses him in the place of his doubt. Aren't you glad that when you and I waver, that when you and I have faith, Jesus is still Jesus and he still shows up? But then next, when Jesus does show up, John chapter 20, verse 26, and I love the first thing it says, a week later. How many of you love God's timing? That's right. Nobody better say amen to that because no one. We would want God to happen now. But Jesus showed up a week later. His disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. 
Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him words we've read before. My Lord and my God. And verse 29 is where I want to focus. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. I want to repeat that again. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. The power of the, the path of faith is often just that. Long stretches where we don't see anything, where we don't feel anything, yet we don't experience anything, yet we know because of the faith we have in our hearts that Jesus is working on our behalf. The blessed assurance that we sing about. That your need is in the hands of God. There's a blessed assurance about that. The blessed assurance that there are no better hands for your life to be in, in all of creation. The blessed assurance that there's no other path that needs to be tried. When I've put my situation, when I've put my life, when I've put my safety, when I've put my faith in Jesus, I can have what the songwriter called and the hymn writer, blessed assurance. My hope, my fears, my doubts, my hurts, my life are all in God's hands. And we trust him by faith. Don't get me wrong. I believe in Jesus' power to perform miracles in an instant. And that power is alive and well today. I do not believe it faded with the original church. It is alive today, and I thank God, and I do believe we will see it more and more as we see that day approaching. But I want to be clear. While I look forward to those times, while I enjoy those times, while I believe those times are genuine, my faith is not dependent on what I see. It's not dependent on what I don't see. My faith is not dependent on what I go through, and it's not dependent on what I don't go through. I hear so many Christians say to me in different settings, well, because God's hand is on my life, I know nothing bad will happen to me. That is a Christian who is going to be in need of a counselor real soon. Because it rains on everybody. It rains on everybody. My faith is not dependent on what I go through or what I don't go through. We're going to go through days of sunshine. And, we're going to go, and we will go through days of last Sunday. When it poured, there was a picture I saw on, on social media of a car on Sunrise Highway, and the water was up to the window. I'm quite sure when that person got out in the morning and started the car, they didn't think, gee, it's going to rain up to the window today. My faith is not dependent on what more he does for me or what more he doesn't do for me because it's based on what he's already done for me. Church, he died for me. He saved me. First and foremost, yes, he has healed me. I've given my testimony about different things than that. Most recently with just how quickly I've been able to respond and recover from my numbers of, of being diabetic. My Lord, yes, he has provided for me 
in miraculous ways that make absolutely no sense. Over the course of my secular career, I've gotten positions in good companies where I did not fit the qualifications, at least the educational ones, and yet I got the job anyway. That is God moving in my life. Yes, he has protected me as recently as this past Wednesday when I stood on the subway platform. And yes, he has guided my steps, guided me through many blessed things. My son's wedding two weeks ago, being a part of this church. He has guided me and guided me through some dangerous places. All true. But also, all the things he's done for me, all the visible things he's provided for me, beyond all of that, he has touched my heart deeply. And I want to experience daily and do the blessing he mentioned to Thomas. Blessed are those who, without having to see, believe. He promised they'd be a blessing. My faith is not primarily in the miracles Jesus can do, because I know he can do anything. But my faith is in the blessed relationship he has given me the privilege to have with him. One that brings peace in a storm. One that brings comfort in times of sorrow. This has been a kind of a whirlwind month for my family and I. We had a wedding two weeks ago with my son. We have another wedding tonight that I'm officiating. It is the season, it seems like. And we've also been, you know, two weddings and two funerals. That's life. Sunshine and rain. But he brings a comfort that isn't dependent on what the calendar is saying. One uh, uh, blessed relationship, one that has steadied my heart when all I felt was pain and chaos. And that's the blessed faith that he gives you and me. That's our journey of faith. Aren't you glad Jesus knows you? I mean, he really does. He knows we're physical beings that experience so much of this world through our senses, what we feel, what we see, what we touch. So I'm glad that he daily makes his presence known. But he also gives us a faith that can remain steadfast in those times. And we've all experienced those times when we are desperate and don't see anything. Using this court official's example we began with, when we by faith take Jesus at his word. Jesus says you're going to be okay. I take him at his word. That doesn't mean I won't experience stuff. I've experienced stuff. But Jesus also said, one day you will be with me in glory. And I'm going to take him at his word. I'm going to take him at his word. Now, I've been doing some reading lately about the way in which we can better present the Christian message to unbelievers. And I've been reading uh, a book by a pastor who pastored a church in New York City. And he planted the church in one of the most difficult places to plant 
a Bible-believing church in a city that is basically filled with skeptics and, and all kinds of different things that are contrary to the Christian way. And he talked about some of his encounters with those who don't believe. And they say, but what you're saying about the Christian message, you can't prove that it's true. And he had gave the person or the people who say that the space to say that. But then he counters them all by saying, I can't prove to you tangibly that there is a God but you can't prove that there isn't. You can't tell me that there isn't one. And we're here now talking, and I can guarantee you two things. I have peace in my heart, and you don't. That peace comes from knowing God. That peace comes from walking with Jesus. That peace comes from not wishful thinking, from knowing there is a God in heaven and that God is not just far away somewhere. He walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me each day, I am his own. And when he tells me that, I take him at his word. Stand with me, please.